0: Well, it's good to be back, back from vacation. Mitch Fortner, and the voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson on Wildcat Insider. For the first time in my life, had a full week off of work. Never done that before, ever. Ever? Wanted to try it out, see how it feels. I still ended up coming in for a few hours on Monday just had I had to take care of something, but uh, I knew about that anyway. I didn't really count it, though. You know, that was my choice to come in, so. Uh, but I'm glad to be back. Nine days off is just weird. Because I, I did I, I made a mistake. I decided when I went into this vacation, I'm just gonna kind of shut off everything from the outside world, well, kinda ish. You know, sports I wasn't gonna follow it as much, and I knew during this time anyway there wasn't gonna be a ton to follow anyway. Right. But you know, I I stay off social media as much as I possibly could, just kind of shut everything down and do my own thing, sure. relax, yeah, take it easy. Get That's away. what I did, and then yeah. I come in this morning and I'm like, boy. I guess I got some things to catch up on. You know, there's bowl games getting canceled. Uh, the COVID variant is uh, is uh, doing its thing right now and uh, just kind of trying to get back in the flow of things. But uh, again, welcome back to Wildcat Insider. Welcome into Wildcat Insider. We're going to talk football in the second hour. I want to start basketball in the first hour because we do have actually something to recap with basketball and then the Texas Bulls a week from tomorrow. We also have... Uh, K-State Athlete Director Gene Taylor is going to be on the show at 520. And I also want to point out, I just want to get out there, I apologize for my voice. You know, that cold's going around. I'm pretty much over it, just trying to get that voice back. So hopefully uh, it won't be too much of a burden. But Wyatt's here with his perfect voice, so he'll, he'll
1: kind of <laughs> counter
0: that. You're very kind.
1: I'm glad you got away. Nine days is a pretty good, pretty good little stretch for a radio guy this time of year. I'm just going to be honest and say congratulations to pull that off. Thank you. It, it's not everybody that can do that. I felt, not that I'm comparing, but I felt really good to have yesterday and the day before <laughs> totally off where I didn't go in. Yeah. And then I drive in this morning. I drive into the parking lot. You can't make this up. Drive into the parking lot and I see one vehicle. And that was the Scooby-Doo looking K-State TV van. Oh. That's like from 1974. <laughs> And I thought, well, this may be a little slower day than I thought it might be. and But I, I did get a lot of work done. I finished uh, a lot of notes on North Florida. I've, I worked on some notes with Oklahoma. I worked on some notes with LSU. Didn't get bothered at all.
0: Um, so here we are to wrap up the day at Man Radio. How's we'll, that? we'll definitely talk LSU in the second hour, but are you a little like, hesitant about doing too much work into this LSU game because you never know what's going to happen with these cancellations.
1: I've said this before. I'll say it again here. We'll talk more about it next hour, but excuse me. in all of the years that I've done bowl games, and the very first one that I was ever a part of was 1990 in the old Freedom Bowl in Anaheim, California. That was a long time ago and a really cool bowl game in Anaheim. That was before um, the Big A was even renovated. That tells you how long ago mm-hmm. that was, okay? And that was that was uh, Colorado State and Oregon. Still to this day, one of the best games I've ever seen. But through 22 or 23 bowls, this preparation has been as difficult as any that I've had for an opponent, just because of the exorbitant amount of injuries they've had, the... the opt-outs the transfer portal the question marks about you know who's healthy who's not uh, the quarterback scenario I mean it's just crazy Mitch I don't know how else to say it so if you look at my chart and knew what you were looking at and looked at this one you'd say wow you wouldn't because you haven't seen it yeah but it is uniquely different Well, I have changed the colors to purple and yellow. Maybe you got that far, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny because on on my chart, both offense and defense, um, I've put LSU uh, in purple with gold trim, Uh okay? But if I think they're going to be out or I know they are out, that purple is a little bit lighter shaded. And so it's really interesting to look at that offense and then flip it and look at the defense and see all the, the lighter colored purple. Um, and who knows? I mean, we've had five bowl games in jeopardy or canceled so far. Yeah, That's crazy. So I'm hoping we get this one in.
0: By the way, that, uh, that 1990 Freedom Bowl, you remember the final score? I think it was 30. I, I just remember. I think it was
1: 32-31. That's correct. And, yep. and here's the thing you need to know about that. Oregon scored. This was Bill Musgrave. I don't know if you know who that is, but he was a quarterback that played very briefly in the league. He's been an offensive coordinator in the NFL for a long, long time. Really good offensive mind. He drives them down, and they score in the waning seconds. I don't even remember how many seconds were left, but it was very few. They go for two in the win on basically the final play of the game and missed it by, oh, maybe the length of my –
0: thumbnail (laughs) it still it was a spectacular game so much fun i was uh let's see i was was four months 14 days old at a boy at the time (laughs) i love to put always put things in perspective when it comes to my age because i still think i'm 22 years old but that's not the case (laughs) uh all right so uh, before we actually get into uh the sports of k-state uh joanne frederick passed away um I never met her um and the reason I found out she had passed away and for those that don't know who she was she worked in the uh, the veneer complex with the football team for many many decades um and the reason I found out she had passed is because of Bill Snyder in his tweet mentioning this is the one one of the saddest days of his life mm-hmm. um you probably knew her could well. you tell us From your perspective, like what kind of person she was, I've only heard just many great things about from former players and coaches.
1: Well, like you, I saw the tweet and had known that Joanne had not been doing well recently, and because of all of the COVID protocols, it's it's tough to get in anywhere to to see people. But um, when I found out about her passing, you know, I I immediately got pretty emotional about it, and I apologize ahead of time if I get to do so here, um, because she was already, when I came to Kansas State in 2002, she was already what I will describe as legendary status with the players and coaches, (laughs) and that was 20 years ago. Um, I I would say this. She was about as motherly as anyone I've known with all all of the—in the 20 years I've been here— I can't. I can't even begin to describe to you well enough to give you a sense of the type of relationships that she had with all of the multitudes of players over the course of time, assistant coaches and head coaches. I, I think most people need to know that she started way, way, way back in the early seventies. Worked a couple of years, as I understand it, <clears throat> in the ticket office, and then became. You know, a, a secretary for the assistant coaches, and then became basically an administrative assistant for the head coaches, and she worked from Stan Perry's through <laughs> Coach Snyder. Um, but we could probably talk about her for the next couple of hours. But I, I, I know a lot of people out there listening have read different, you know, little tweets or you know, what have you, stories that have been written in subsequent days since her passing of just the type of individual she was. But she she had that jar of candy. And I remember setting up uh, for the radio show each and every Thursday night. And in the early days, my son was still in school here, and, and he would come in and the the plan was is he would help me set up and it didn't take very long he sat there and visited the joanne while i set up <laughs> that gives you a little bit of an idea of what she was like and and just the most friendly warm wonderful person that you could possibly meet and i i relished the stories over the years of i mean she would tell stories of of all of the i mean i don't want to start singling people out but in the early days, you know, you'd hear the stories that she would tell about the Bob Stoops of the world and that, that first Snyder staff and you know, some of those and then later all the way through, you know, like Brett Bielman, some of those kind of people and then the players. I think here most recently, you know, you you've heard probably from Jordy and you've probably heard from Tyler Lockett and some of those. B.J. Finney was very close to her and and maybe as as, as close as anyone to her here of, of recent times was Dalton Reisner, who's starting now for the Broncos. Dalton really, <laughs> I think in his eye, he, he kind of represents the rest of us in feeling like we lost a family member, if you want to know the truth. She, she was unbelievable lady, and I've probably done a poor job of explaining what she meant to K-State and to K-State football, but uh, she was an amazing, amazing lady who deeply cared for Coach Snyder and all of those who preceded him, and then obviously the the coaches and players over the years. She, you couldn't ask for a better person, but also a, a better advocate for Wildcat football in my mind.
0: I think I really started to first hear about Joanne in 2017 because that's when she retired. Yeah, 84 years old. She retires uh, in 2017, so just almost made it just to the uh, end of the Bill Steiner tenure, yep. the second run Steiner 2.0, and uh, she was here the whole time, pretty much the whole time, Coach Steiner has been here 89 obviously she was working in the football football department already yeah. I mean she worked directly under Bill Snyder for I think pretty much his whole run yes if not most of it so I, I completely understand how tough this is for most Wildcats out there I wish I would have taken the time to talk to her a little bit and, and get to know her because she sounds like she was the sweetest person ever um, it also says here I was reading one of D Scott Fritchin's articles about her at the uh, K-State Sports website, she had never missed a home game between 1967 and 2002. Yeah. That's crazy.
1: That is crazy. And, she she and, broke her
0: hip. That's what kept her away. Yeah. So – and then when she got better, she would watch the games from the Big 8 room. Yeah. And, and I think she only missed three at that
1: point. So, yeah, she was – she was as dedicated as anybody um, – there's there's no doubt about that, and her her just her love for K State. I always used to say to her, you know, th- this was before anybody ever, th- or I think pretty maybe Mark Jansen had written the first book about Coach Snyder, but and maybe Stan too for that matter. But I I used to say to her, you ought to be the one to write a book too. Of all of this, all yeah. of this, you know, even even prior to Coach Snyder. Um, that's probably true with a couple of other people that had worked there for, for many, many years. But, yeah, she, she'll she be deeply missed, I know, by all of those who were touched by her, I guess is the, maybe the best way to say
0: it. Yeah, and there was a video that you mentioned, Dalton Reisner, earlier. and I could just tell by his tweets how close they were. It looked like they went out to dinner a couple of times. They called them dates. <laughs> they got <out> for some <laughs> dates once in a while. And there was also a video of him surprising her at home and he brought her a jersey and she was so excited to see him i just love that i love that cheer from her to see and i'm sure she has she probably had that reaction for a lot of players that would come back and visit there have been a lot of people um
1: no one probably better than coach snyder uh, I, I would tell you that it's my opinion that i think coach snyder was there to see her at least a couple of times a week uh even through covid i mean, visiting you know with the glass in between them kind of thing, I mean, you talk about dedication. <laughs> um, but that video of with dalton i I can't tell you how many times uh we would take her to dinner and she would tell stories about players and and most recently the the one you know she she was just so excited that when she did hear from players, you know, whether it was a phone call or you know whatever it might be. Uh, it in, in those later days when she wasn't working and, and wasn't able to uh, to hear from them, it just it was more than made her day. How, how about that?
0: I wonder. Like, it, I would love to also hear the stories. Like, it, did she have to after have to, like kind of whip anybody into shape? You know, like, <laughs> hey, you were late to practice. There's no more being late to. Like, if she ever had that kind of role as well as like the motherly. Type of rule when it comes to discipline. Well, like does she even even have that opportunity? Is what I would would probably
1: be speaking out of turn, even even speculating on that. But it wouldn't surprise me necessarily. I, I just know, you know, that K State football in the Snyder era was one of of loyalty, family, toughness, discipline, those kind of things. And I I think she was just such a large figure there um and and the guys i just remember i'll go back to telling the story about setting up for the radio show i just remember the kids you know they would be downstairs in the old veneer and they'd come up they'd have all their gear um but but you know their helmet shoes shoulder pads under an arm or whatever and they would come in drop it go give her a hug take a piece of candy they'd talk for a few minutes you know it was their little world you know that's that's the point that they she had her little world with with so many
0: hundreds and hundreds over the years i've heard about this candy jar what was usually kept in there
1: <laughs> well there's a little bit of everything but I, I as i recall lots of mints those kind of hmm. things i think the do you know what the worthers are oh yeah 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 she was a i think she I was love a those big things. fan yeah yeah mm-hmm. so uh, and i would I would be fibbing if I didn't say I'd had a piece or two out of there from time to time myself. But I, I didn't like do it too often because it was kind of like I almost felt like you know that's the play, yeah. that's the players <laughs> you know. And um, she, it's hard to put into perspective what what she was if you didn't know her. But just suffice it to say, you couldn't find a person that cared more about the kids. And it, it, it didn't matter whether you were the star of the team or the final walk-on. I mean that as sincerely as I could say it. They were all the same in her eye. I, I, I really do believe that to my core. She, she was just – she loved them all. Big grandma. Miss
0: Joanne. <laughs> well, put that in perspective a little bit. You know – Well, who, take who, 120 who, or
1: 30 what, kids times right.
0: 30 years or – well, more than that, actually, that's Snyder's thirty. But outside of that complex, yeah. where do those kids see that kind of equality? Everywhere else, between you know, when Michael Bishop was here, compared sure. to the you know, a, a third-string running back. You yeah, know? it's a good point. She treated everybody as equally and as kind as everybody else. That's a, yeah. a grand thing to say about somebody. Oh, for sure. And you know that this isn't just with her,
1: but. You know, Coach Snyder had so many things that that made K-State special, from my perspective, being kind of the outside and then coming in and, and learning all of that. You know, that with the with the the players going to you know different nursing homes in town and to grade schools and you know just being involved in the community and stuff. And I, I'm going to guess that you know she probably oversaw a lot of that, some of that, um, and and so I, I think they took a lot of pride in in what uh, what it was all about in those days, for sure.
0: Well, I, I really appreciate you sharing some words about Joanne. Oh, like, sure. I, like I mentioned earlier, really didn't know her at all, but you did. And I'm glad you, we, we got this opportunity to learn a little bit about her for those that didn't know her, uh, like me, because she's a legend. Oh, no question. We all loved her. There's no doubt. All right, let's talk K-State men's basketball. We come back on Wildcat Insider. Wildcat Insider continuing on KMAN. Mitch Fortner, the voice of the Cats, Wyatt Thompson. Troy Coverdale is here as well. He's across the glass running the thing. K-State men's basketball off to an eight and three record now after winning this past Tuesday. It was Tuesday, right? I got my days all mixed up Tuesday, beating <laughs> McNeese, McNeese State. The Cowboys by the final score 7459. I just wanted to go over some takeaways from that game. I, I I did have quite a few. It was a lot of individual type of things. Of course, you know, K-State, they don't build that lead until, you know, later in the first half. Back-to-back, day, or back-to-back games, they did this. An 18-2 to run was really the difference in the game as the Cats won by 15, and I know McNeese, they hit a couple of threes down the stretch there to yeah. make things a little bit closer, but it was really, it felt like a 20-point win for the Cats. But uh, I got to say, who really stood out once again was Marquise Noel. He puts together another double-double, and he is, and I saw this, because he also had 10 assists. He had 18 points in the game, like Nigel Pack, who's been great as well. But he has joined Steve Henson, Jacob Pullen, and Angel Rodriguez as the only Wildcats to post two points assist turnovers, or I'm sorry, points assist double doubles in program history, which is incredible. And and three of the four that I mentioned have done it in the same season. So he's doing an an amazing job. I think Marquise Noel, for those that aren't exactly a fan because he turns over the ball once in a while, I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. I think he's been doing a great job. Well, he's had two in 11 games. Yeah. I think that's
1: the other factor. And, you know, early on, he was a little bit of a turnover machine. Not nearly as much lately. He, You know, he didn't play well in the game before. But, you know, he has been inserted into that starting lineup when Nigel uh, was was injured. And he's done a really, really good job. The kid can shoot the ball. Um he, he he's just a scorer, man. It's just what it is. I mean, he he's. It's hard to believe this, but he's closing in on, you know, several marks that that would. I mean, how about this one? He's had seventeen games of twenty plus in his career, three games of thirty plus, and six career double doubles. And he's five eight and one hundred and sixty pounds. Yeah. So he's done. He's done all right for
0: himself. He did have the lull against Nebraska, and that he is, did. yeah, it was a rough game for him. But we've mentioned it so many times about him. It feels like every time he does make a mistake, he does two or three really great things. And he has, how many times has he sparked this offense? He's done it multiple times this season, especially you go back to that last game against um, McNeese and how things were kind of slow out of the gate. It took a while for the Cats to get going. Well, Marquise Noel was getting to the foul line. And he was drawing some fouls, and that got the thing going because he wasn't missing any he, – he was knocking out free throws. He was 7 of 8. Here's the thing that I appreciate about Marquise
1: uh, when things are going well. All scorers will shoot the ball, sometimes maybe a little bit too often. Uh, he could be accused of that from time to time. Maybe that wasn't the greatest shot. Maybe that one was NBA plus, shouldn't take that one. You, know, you get the point. Mm-hmm. But in this particular game against McNeese, think about this: in 34 minutes, he had 18 points, four rebounds, 10 assists, two steals, and only took eight shots from the floor, four from three-point line, and was seven of eight from the free throw line. That's pretty efficient basketball.
0: End of statement. I mean, that's that's it. That's pretty good. Another player I wanted to bring up that I thought it was important. He had a big game. Was Selton Miguel? Yep, off the bench because the three previous games. He wasn't exactly taking maybe the best shots. He wasn't as solid from the field. He was 2 of 10 against Nebraska. He had a he, had, he did have seven points, but he was 2 of 10 from the field. But he's coming off the bench, and you already know he's going to be a little bit limited coming off the bench anyway. For him to come out and, and get 17 points and four rebounds and a couple of steals and have a great day from the field, I thought, boy, for him to, who was struggling a little bit lately, that was a big game for him to kind of break out of that funk.
1: I think most people would say that I I try to be pretty fair, honest, forthright about stuff, not make a lot of excuses. But I'm just going to be honest and and tell you that Selton had not, in the couple of two or three games prior to McNeese, he wasn't dealing with just one issue. He was dealing with two. And I think it affected his play and his shooting and so on and so forth. This was a little more back to what he was like earlier in the year. I appreciate him because he has accepted that role as kind of like the sixth man. And again, you want to talk about efficient basketball. He had 17 points in 23 minutes, made six of nine shots, two out of three from three, and three out of four at the free throw line. It's still obvious that he's a pretty dominant right-handed player offensively, but he has improved almost in every way. He's improved his left hand still with room to go. No doubt about that. But I think he's clearly improved with his release of the ball and the shot, his ability to pass, to drive. Uh, I've I've said from the first time I saw him, I'm thinking that guy could be a terrific plus defender. And he's turning out to be that. And so it's, it's hard to play college basketball, period, end of story. But it's really hard when you're dealing <laughs> with a little bit of a knee issue
0: and a groin issue at the same time. But he's healthier now, thank goodness. Yeah, no kidding. And yeah. He's a, he's coming off the bench. That tells you a little bit about how K-State has developed some depth yeah. this season. And Selton Miguel. there's no doubt about it. If K-State wants to be eight guys deep, Selton needs to be a key factor off the bench, no doubt about that. And then Mark Smith, I mean, he the transfers have really shown that they are changing the the stride of K-State men's basketball compared to last year. They are a major difference. Mark Smith is a rebounding machine. I don't know. I, so I, I brought this up many times last year about Dejuan Gordon. Even though he was having a, a rough year, he at least played hard and was going to the boards. Sure. But K-State needed that impact guy that could shoot the basketball, but also go after every single rebound. Fly to that basket and go get rebounds. I think Mark Smith, to me, is that guy.
1: I'll tell you what I would say about Mark Smith, and I mean this sincerely. This is, it's obvious that the guy has a lot of experience. I mean, he's played in 111 games. <clears throat> I think what I appreciate about as much as anything, I don't know, tell me if you agree with this or whether you don't. I don't know that Mark is great at any one thing, but I think he's pretty good at all of it. I don't think he necessarily has what would be a glaring weakness. He's a decent shooter, and by decent, I'm talking 39%, 40% career from the floor, which isn't great, but it's not bad. He's at, what, 35% from three, which is pretty good, 74% career free throw shooter. All of those numbers are fairly fairly good, but he rebounds, he defends, he passes. <laughs> he, he's a good team. I mean, he's just been a real—I'm not trying to bag on anybody from the past at all, but if you're going to make a trade like that every year, I'm in. Count me in. That, that kid can play, and he's strong. Um, it, it's hard to kind of knock him off of where he's headed because he is physically talented. He's not the greatest athlete ever by any stretch, but at 6'4 and 225 and that kind of
0: strength— he kind of finds a way to get some stuff done. How often like, do you or Matt or even stand, like, say on the broadcast, you know, Mark Smith, he had himself a, a quiet 10 rebounds tonight, a quiet um, eight, nine points. Yeah. You the know, he, f- The first time, Mitch, that he had
1: a 10-rebound effort, I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't even recognize it until almost the very end of the game. Had a double take. Yeah. And it's like I'm looking at the stat sheet during that la- that under-four break, you know, the, uh, my – stat monitor in front of me there and I'm going wow I missed that (laughs) you know so I've learned and again this is a guy who's played just 11 games keep track of that keep track of Marquise's assists keep track of you know the percentage that uh, Nigel is shooting from three and those kind of things
0: because they're all pretty good at it in the last seven games uh, Mark Smith has grabbed 10 rebounds for the last seven games. That sounds believable. Exactly. 10 well, rebounds.
1: Yeah, at 6'4 and 225, I can pretty much, I, I don't make many guarantees. I've, I've, I'm just going to be honest about that. But I would bet you $1,000. Yeah, well, let's call it a Coke. You don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> I would bet you a Coke. That's a big difference. I know it is. I would bet you a Coke that on the Oklahoma scouting Report, if I could read it, which I won't be able to, but if I could, one of the things that they have on there about Mark Smith is box him out. Yeah,
0: he <laughs> is going to get a rebound. You have a guard that, in every game but one, has grabbed at least six rebounds. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> that's it. that's excellent. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I also wanted to bring up about K State. Like I mentioned, they've won six of the last seven. They're eight and three. I, I had to look up where they're doing, where they're at right now with fouling, because you might have noticed in that game against McNeese, they only fouled nine times. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't you didn't hear a whole lot of whistles that game anyway, but K State in the last eight games has averaged just fifteen fouls a game, which to me is a pretty small number. I think that's pretty big to success if you're not fouling, you're not letting guys get to the free throw line, you have a pretty darn good shot at winning a game, especially if you're only fouling seven and a half times a half. Yeah, it's a very interesting point because I
1: think it basically tells you that they're playing good defense most of the time, moving their feet, doing what they're supposed to be doing without fouling. Excuse me. I'm looking at their defensive numbers here. Their opponents are shooting 38%. K-State, I don't know if they're still number one in the country, but they went into the McNeese game as the number one field goal percentage defensive team in the country from three. And, you know, it is what it is, but but opponents are shooting 66% at the free throw line too, so they kind of wear you out, you know. Uh, But – I think that's an interesting thought on your, on your part because they aren't fouling as much, and it makes a difference. Because I'm just here to tell you, we get into some of these harder games. Uh, I'll give you an example. North Florida is shooting 75% as a team. Okay, Oklahoma is shooting 75%
0: from the free throw line as a team. You don't want to put them on the line no. if you can help it. K-State is now fourth in the country in three-point field goal defense. Ahead of them is VCU, Iowa State, and the Utes of Utah. Well, there you go. Those are pretty good defensive teams this this time. I I should say tied for third with Utah. Okay. 24.6% they're allowing from three-point range. Which is very good. uh, Speaking of shooting the three, coming up next, I want to preview the two matchups K-State men's basketball has coming up this week, starting with North Florida on Wednesday. You're listening to Wildcat Insider. Wyatt, are you a Fleetwood Mac fan? You know what? I've told you this before. He- uh, yeah. I have
1: never been a big concert goer. Yeah. But I actually
0: saw them in 1976. Ooh, that's a good time. With the Beach Boys at the old Mile <laughs> oh, High in Denver. That's right. You did tell me that. I'm sorry. Yeah, the you're greatest right. greatest concert I've ever seen. I would imagine it was Fleetwood Mac that headline, yeah. But that's still... You know, the Beach Boys were still... They were pretty good. That, they were that, yeah. they were still young, but yes. they had passed their prime. You know when sure. they were huge in the '60s, they didn't exactly pump out hits in the '70s, and then they got that Kokomo thing going, and then yeah, they <laughs> they, they got a little bit more attention. But yeah, Fleetwood, Mac, I love Fleetwood Mac. I've always said you can
1: tell an artist is good by how they perform live.
0: Take my oh, word yeah. for it; they're great live. I also love bands that have more than one lead singer. Like yeah. a whole bunch of people. Sing. The yeah. Beatles is a great example. Sure, you know. Uh, but anyway, all right. I could talk music all day, every day. <laughs> but I could also talk K State sports all day, every day. And uh, I wanted to take this time to kind of look at what's coming up here for the Cats because it, it, it gets pretty interesting. I mean, you look at North Florida and you think this ain't no, no big deal or anything. I would take them seriously. I, I'm not saying K State would lose this game, but they are. They do have some talent. So North Florida are 4-9, but they've played a lot of Power 5 teams. They are a team that will go on the road and, and collect some checks. There's no doubt about that. They are the makeup team, as K-State was supposed to play Morgan State. That gets canceled. The Cats reschedule with North Florida. They played Texas Tech to open up the year, lost that game by 15. They're 0-9 on the road. They're 4-0 at home. I thought that was, that was kind of interesting because it's a whole different schedule when they're at home. Uh, but if you look at the net... Morgan State coming in would have been at 340 mm-hmm. out of like 360 teams or something. Well, hey, Cats have uh, made their uh, schedule a little bit tougher because North Florida is at 303. Yeah.
1: And probably better than 303, but but yes. you, you mentioned they've Now think about this. 0 and 9 on the road sounds awful. And and it is, but here's where they've been on the road. Texas Tech, Texas A&M, Grand Canyon, Arizona State. UCLA, Kentucky, Florida International, Florida Atlantic, Florida. Are you kidding me?
0: Yeah. That's unbelievable. Uh, You bring up Grand Canyon. I just want to point out, for those that haven't been keeping up with Grand Canyon, so K-State statistically will be the third toughest defense that North Florida has seen this year. Texas Tech is second. Grand Canyon statistically is the best defense they've seen. And they're like a top 10 defense in the country. Like, they're really good. They are good. Now, I brought up earlier three-point shooting. That's what stood out to me about North Florida and where they could really hurt you is from three-point range. They're so 37%. You know, that's not too shabby. Uh, they take 28 threes a game. So they're going to they're gonna hurl those uh, long-distance shots. They make 10 a game. It's a good number. It is. But I, I've also noticed, you know, they've had some big games from three. They In one game, you know, this is – Weber International, you know, that's that's one team, but when they come into Manhattan, they're going to be taking on Weber Global. And uh, that is uh in that game against Weber International, they hit 21 threes. This is a team like if you leave them open, they're they swing it around. If they if you leave leave them open, they're going to hit threes. Like they can really hurt you. And I kind of worry about that a little bit because K-State at times has had a few issues about being a little bit too slow about those closeouts. Get to that three-point shooter, get some hands up, make it a little bit difficult. It's been a little bit of a lapse once in a while in that kind of area of the game. Well, I admit that
1: North Florida has played two more games than K-State, but this is what needs to be said about the three-point shooting and how much they enjoy it. K-State, in their 11 games, they've taken 252 threes. North Florida, in their 13 games, have launched it up 360 yeah, times. A
0: lot, Yeah.
1: 360 yeah. times. That's crazy. Now, here, here's the good part. you got to get out and pressure them. Okay, Don't give them easy looks. They're, for the most part, struggling on the glass. They are basically being out-rebounded uh, by a margin of minus 6-1. Their opponents have uh, nearly 39 rebounds a game. They're just under 33. So they're not the biggest team. But they
0: do know how to share the ball, and they get it moved, and they they can shoot it a little bit. So you better guard them. Well, and around college basketball, they are kind of the definition of a one-and-done type of team. They do not offensive rebound very well. Not too much. A a pretty low number. (laughs) And then conference play starts Saturday. We're kicking off 2022 with a road game and Big 12 play. Troy and I will be on a plane, so we won't really get to be able to watch this, but – the Cats are at Oklahoma to start the year, and it gets, uh, it's interesting to me because that Tanner Groves guy, uh, he's, what, 6'10 and, like, 250? He's a big dude with a great beard, and he's going to be tough to stop because he can also hit three. They list him at 235, but like you, I'm going to argue that he's a skosh bigger than that. I, that was a total guess on my part, yeah, right? just but, the way he looks.
1: But here's the thing that you need to know about about him. I really think he's a much better athlete than the perception, and I think he's a really good passer. He can handle the ball. He's got good hands and feet. He's basically shooting. Now think about this. 6'10 and 2", let's call him, let's round it off and have fun and say 240-ish. He's shooting nearly 60% from the floor. He's shooting 41% from three, and he's their five-man. This is a really quality team. They're 10-2. and two. They've started Groves, Jalen Hill, Elijah Harkless, Jordan Goldwire, the Duke transfer, and Emoja Gibson, uh, all 12 games. So they've, they've got their top five guys. And with that said, they're still getting pretty good play out of their bench with Groves' little brother, Jacob with a young man who K-State tried to recruit extremely hard, and C.J. Nolan, a kid from Waxhatchee, Texas, whose father Belvis played here, uh, Ethan Chagua, the SMU transfer, and Bijan Cortez from an Oklahoma kid. This, is a, th- this team, they've lost at home to Butler, and they lost to Utah State. But they really do a great job offensively. And, and the truth is, as we all know, Lon Kruger loved offensive basketball, and sometimes their defense wasn't great. This team, I think, you'll find is a much better, harder playing defensive team than, than Oklahoma of recent times. By the way, I've got to tip my cap to Lon, the old K Stater. 674 wins in 35 years as
0: he walked away. Pretty good little run there for the it's old impressive. Silver Lake boy. <laughs> well, now, we, but the uh, the the old K State good luck charm is has now left. That's in, right. Uh, yep. <laughs> All those wins K State picked up in Bramlage. Which, by the way, hey, cats are going for four hundred on Wednesday. By the way, in Bramlage. Coliseum. That's right. Yeah. Um, Oklahoma does not play a midweek though. Keep that in mind. They do not play a midweek game before they host K State Saturday. So they're yeah. going to be a week fresh after their last. Actually, I think it's more than like nine days or something like that. Yeah. Since their so. last
1: game would have been the twenty second, which would have been what last Tuesday? Was it Tuesday?
0: I think so. Yeah,
1: let me look. To make sure that's right. I think it might have even been before that,
0: but let's double check here. So it's going to be you know a week and a half between games for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. The twenty second was last Wednesday.
0: Yeah. So maybe they're going to come back out of shape. You know, they had an extended Christmas break. No, I don't want to relay on that kind of thinking. <laughs> this wouldn't. team is better than last year. I, I, that that yeah. was the kind of thinking last year. I don't want to bring that into this year. All right, when we come back, let's uh, take a look at uh, what's going on with men's basketball on Saturday as uh, everybody starts Big 12 play here on Wildcat Insider. Wildcat Insider on K-Man, Mitch, Wyatt, Troy. Big 12 men's basketball conference games start on Saturday. And, guys, we got a marquee matchup on Saturday afternoon. Two undefeateds go in. Only one will come out. Ames, Iowa, number 1 Baylor, number 8 Iowa State not. Too bad of a start for the Big 12. I think we thought Baylor was going to be really good, but off a little
1: bit. And and maybe they still will be off a tick from a national championship team. That that would make some sense. But I think they're way good. And I think they're easily top five all year long kind of good. Iowa State's, though, that say what you want about their schedule. But for them to be undefeated at this point um, is pretty remarkable after going 2-20 and 20 last year. With all that said, I, I'm still... I'm gonna say Baylor will win the
0: game. How about you? Yeah. You know, could be Iowa, wrong. Let's remember Iowa State was picked to finish dead last in the Big Twelve in the preseason poll. And now they're uh, yeah. not so much dead last anymore, but yes, I would pick Baylor. By the way, like I mentioned, it was one o'clock. That's gonna be on ESPNU. You also have West Virginia number 17, Texas, eleven A.m. on ESPN U. The Jayhawks hosting TCU at 4 on Saturday, ESPN+. Plus. The Cats and Sooners will be on ESPNU, but of course, listen right here on K-Man beginning at 6 o'clock. And then uh, uh, we already have a postponement, and that's uh, Oklahoma State and Texas Tech will have to play at a later time. Wow. Thanks to uh, the new uh, Big 12 uh, rule. The game, or Wildcat Insider, will continue next on KMAN.